Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Isaiah chapter number 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I promised you that I'd be most respectful of your time if you came this morning and we will do that. And I asked the Lord and praying, de- deciding what to preach this morning on a Christmas Sunday morning. Where should we go? What should we do? And do we bring a, just a short devotion? Uh, do we preach a message? What would you have me to do, Lord? And the Lord really rebuked me. Don't shortchange the people. <laughs> they made the effort to come, and so give them a message. And so I'm going to preach a message this morning, and I absolutely will be re- most respectful of your time, but I'd like to preach a message from Isaiah chapter 53. And here's the title, God's View of Christmas. God's view of Christmas. Now, I don't know how many of you can uh, relate to this. There, there are things that I have dreaded about this week. In fact, I've tried to stay away from Broadway Boulevard. Can anyone relate to what I just said? Traffic has been horrible this week. Like, no one has been home. If you wanted to rob someone, if you wanted to rob someone this week, this is a good week to do it because there's no way any is a good week to do it because there's no way anyone was home. They were all on Broadway, Speedway, and 22nd Street. You couldn't get anywhere. I dread the traffic around Christmas and especially uh, around Broadway Park Place, especially uh, around Broadway Park Place Mall, all the restaurants. It's just been insane this past week. I also dread this. I dread the dread this. I dread the trite treatment of my Lord and Savior. Trite treatment of my Lord and Savior during Christmas. During Christmas. Do you understand what I just said? The trite treatment. There's so many people who are dismissive of Christmas and dismissive of the reason that we celebrate Christmas and you say you're just an old Scrooge you just you just don't like us and oh I love Christmas I love this time I love listening to you sing Christmas I love uh, last Sunday the choir and all the special music and and I and I love the candlelights there's things I love about Christmas I love reflecting on the great love that God has for me and God has for you and the fact that he did send his son to this world. We live in the greatest time when we know what happened 2,000 years ago and we know what's about to happen. We live in a great time. But my question often as I ponder and think about my Heavenly Father, what does he view Christmas Does he dread Christmas? Does he dread looking down in this world? And all across Europe, they don't even celebrate Christmas now. It's a dead holiday as far as the things of Christ. When you look in many of the Asian countries, they don't even understand to have a basic understanding of what Christmas is. Christmas is. You look in 
South America and the stranglehold of Catholicism and all of the masses that's taken place. I wonder what God sees when he looks down at Christmas. Christmas is not just another excuse to party and shop till you drop. Uh, It's about God's grace and it's about his forgiveness and it's about eternity and it's about the freedom from sin and death and hell. And Christmas, folks, is about Christ. And the, and the baby and the swaddling clothes and certainly we know the story of the manger and the shepherds and the angels but there's, but there's so much more to that story and I pray that as believers that we can just be reminded this morning of the thrill that Christmas should be to us as a believer and if you're visiting with us maybe this will pique an interest in you about why do those people get so excited Maybe you will understand. So with that in mind, I think we should stand out of honor and respect to the reading of God's Word in Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to read the first six verses, and I'm going to read the three odd verses. You'll read the three even verses. So let's do a responsive reading this morning from Isaiah chapter number 53, and as we look at the first six verses. Beginning in verse number one, I will read that. You'll pick up in verse two. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But I love that little word there. It changes things. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Oh, Father, please allow us not to treat this Christmas trite. Father, would you enable us to be able to understand your word, to leave here a filled people, spiritually speaking. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw men and women, boys and girls, to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You say, well, Pastor, that's not a typical text for Christmas. Don't you know you're supposed to read Luke chapter 2? Well, maybe you're right, but this is my 14th Christmas here, and I've had my fair share of messages out of Luke chapter 2. May I just remind you that I think perhaps more than any other scripture passage, this passage does tell the full story of Christmas. And it doesn't speak of shepherds and mangers, but it gives us a panoramic view of what... And so let me just give you a couple thoughts, and we'll be respectful, we'll be out of here on time, and you won't miss lunch. All right, here we go. Here's my first thought. Understand this. God prepared the world 
for Jesus. God prepared this world for Jesus. Notice what the Bible says. God spake. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, God spake. That's it in a nutshell. God is the subject. Spake is the verb. God spake. And the rest of the words and phrases tells us about how and when God spoke to us. God is always active. May I, may I just tell you, he's still active today. He's always working. He's always revealing himself. And I'm so thankful that we have a God that is never dormant. He's always been speaking to men. Deists believe that God created everything and then he left creation to run itself. On the contrary, God is not indifferent, but he's actively speaking to and through his creation. The Bible says, God spake in times past. Remember our text passage here in Isaiah. God has spoken in time past. He has disclosed himself to us. He did not create the world and then leave it. He did not cloak himself in the shadow of mystery. On the contrary, I'm here to tell you that God has revealed his glory to men. And he did that first in creation. In the beginning, he spoke face to face to Adam and then Eve. Genesis 3 and verse number 8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And after the fall, God spoke to, to, to different men and women personally, and he dealt directly with Cain and Abel. And God spoke in such an intimate terms that Enoch, uh, to Enoch that the Bible says this, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He was so close that there's no record of his death in that pre-flood era, Enoch, he lived 365 years. How many of you would like to live 365 years? Some of you are just hoping you can get to 70. 365 years, and the Bible says he walked and he talked with God, and that God just simply took him to heaven without allowing him to die. And though God did not speak to every man personally, his Mercy and his grace has resounded from his creation. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and godhood, so that they that are without excuse, so that they teaches us there's a God. By the way, there's no such thing as a person who says, I don't believe there is a God, and I'll prove it to you. Whenever someone says, I don't believe there's a God, you say, how many days a week are there? And they're going to look at you, and they say, there's seven. How do you know there's seven days? Because Genesis chapter 1 says that God took six days to create the world, and on the seventh day he rested. So that right there proves that someone, everyone, believes that there is a God. You can undermine their arguments very quickly. I'm so thankful in Hebrews chapter 1, it even adds more about God. God, who spoke in times past unto the fathers. Who were those fathers? They were the ancestors of all the Jews. They were the patriarchs of Israel. God spoke to Abraham and called him out of Ur of the Chaldees of, to a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And he promised this old man that he would be the father of a great nation. He spoke to his son Isaac and he spoke to Jacob and even wrestled with him and he spoke to Joseph in dreams and he spoke to Moses through a burning bush and God spoke to Isaiah who wrote the prophecy that we read earlier in this message. The Old Testament is full of accounts of time past when God spake. When God 
the Bible says, spoken various times. And at times, God was very active with new revelation coming. Think of how God dealt with Abraham or Moses, yet at other times there was little, re- little revelation. There was, seems to be a, a, a silent period. And during those eras of disobedience, God remained quiet. By the way, the time between the Testaments is called the 400 silent years. I'm thankful that we live in a generation where God still speaks. And he speaks to, through his word. And if you've never had him speak to you, oh, I am so sorry. But God still speaks today. God spoke through his prophets. The writer of Hebrews also tells us the predominant way in which God spoke in time past. In the Old Testament, God uh, spoke primarily uh, by the prophets. And Amos chapter 3 and verse number 7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. So in the Old Testament, there were major prophets that we call uh, major, major just by volume, not that they were more important. Than, but we know that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they, they wrote vast portions of the Scripture, but there's those who referred to as minor prophets who were contemporaries of those uh, prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, uh, men like uh, Amos and Hosea and Joel. Here's what I'm trying to say is that God has spoken times past, and as we look forward into the future we come to the new testament we come to second timothy chapter three and the bible says this all scripture is given by the bible says this all scripture is given by inspiration of god god inspiration of god god breathed it and it is profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction for instruction in righteousness and then peter wrote this knowing this first in righteousness and then peter wrote this knowing this first that no prophecy of the that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of god spake as they were the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, may I just share something that's fascinating, remind you of this? If you're a believer, the, whole, the same Holy Ghost, if you're a believer, the, whole, the same Holy Ghost that helped, that helped men write Scripture 2,000 years ago is now the Holy Spirit that lives within you. You have the power of of God upon your life. You have the power of God upon your life if you're a believer. One last thought on this is that God prepared the, this world for Jesus. Uh, it, it, the Bible says um, this, that God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, he did this in order to prepare his people, to get them ready to receive his son, to get them ready for the Messiah, to get them ready for the Christmas when Jesus would come. Here's my second thought, and this is why we're here this morning. God, he prepared the world for Jesus, but when God looks down, he's the one who presented Jesus to the world. God presented Jesus to this world. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was imprisoned by Hitler during World War II. He wrote to his fiancée on a lesson that he learned uh, from his life in prison. He wrote these words. A prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. Christmas. 
the advent or coming of Christ means that God has once for all, he swung open the door of our personal prison. Christmas is much, much more than a baby in a manger surrounded by some adoring shepherds. The gift of God's Son is so vast in scope that to limit it to one season of the year, to one scene in some stable in Bethlehem is to limit our understanding. May I say with great authority, with boldness, underline it, with an exclamation point, uh, uh, exclamation point, Christmas is about Christ. It is about God presenting to the world his only son, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And God has also spoken to us by his son. The Bible says in times past, God spoke by the prophets, but now in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. God's message to man was incomplete without his son. The Old Testament without the New Testament, it actually makes little sense. The final stage of progressive revelation is full revelation. And we have full revelation in this. Jesus Christ came to this world. And I say hallelujah this morning. God spoke in different ways through different people, but he has finally spoken to man in one way and through one person, and that is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And that Bible that you have there works together like a giant jigsaw puzzle, and you see the colors and the bits of the picture, but you can't immediately see it all, uh, how it fits together until you come to Hebrews 1 and verse 3 in the New Testament. And the Bible says we see Jesus fully, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus is the big picture. And you take the, the parts of the Old Testament and the parts of the New Testament and you put that great big picture together. And what is the picture? It's revealed in Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20 says this, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. How many of you have ever put together a jigsaw puzzle? That's all of us. We've put together a puzzle. And, you know, sometimes we, it's all sappy, and there's a fire in the fireplace. Well, probably not in Tucson, but anyway, so in the mountains there's a fire in the fireplace, and you got all the pieces of the puzzle spread out. And, um, and you have to keep cheating, looking back at the box to see where that one little piece goes in the jigsaw puzzle. As with a jigsaw puzzle, once we see the assembled picture, we, we can appreciate those little individual pieces. And once we have the full revelation in the New Testament about what Christmas is all about, we can then appreciate the bits and pieces in the Old Testament I'm so thankful that God's still speaking to us through his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God's truth has come to us directly from the lips of his own son. May I take you back to the woman at the well at Sychar? Back to the woman at the well at Sychar. She understood this. Remember, she lived a pretty rough life. What do we know about her? She had had how many husbands? Five husbands, that's not a very good track record. Of course, of course, if you listen to her, it was all the husbands' faults. She had five husbands. Oh, and there was another little bit of information. Who is she currently living with? Somebody that wasn't even her husband. 
And if you understand the Jewish culture, what even made this even more astonishing is that well, when did she go draw out water? It was when? At noon, in the heat of the day. You didn't do that unless you were an outcast. Unless nobody, the women in that custom and in that, uh, that time period, in that culture, the women would go early in the morning to draw out the water. She was there at noon because she wasn't welcome. She wasn't invited because the lifestyle that she was living was, was, was horrific, even by today's standards. May I just encourage you? Here's what she said. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. That is exactly what Jesus came to do. Christ has spoken to reveal his fullness in Christ. I like what one author wrote. Just think, every promise God has ever made finds its fulfillment in Jesus. God doesn't give us grace. He gives us Jesus, the Lord of grace. If it's peace, it's only found in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Even life itself is found in the resurrection and the life. Christianity isn't all that complicated. It's Jesus. I like that quote. It isn't that complicated. The problem is, is that we are Jesus. So let me give you, and I just have a few minutes, I have a, uh, just a few minutes left. Let me give you three, and you can uh, apply these truths this Christmas day in your life. Here's truth number one. Christmas is not merely a holiday. Christmas is not merely a holiday. Thanksgiving's a holiday. The 4th of July is a holiday. Memorial Day is a holiday. Christmas is not merely a holiday. Now, almost everyone celebrates Christmas, but most people don't understand why they're celebrating Christmas. They rush here and they rush there and, and they buy presents that they can't afford and they sing songs they don't understand and they watch sappy movies and endless holiday TV specials and, and they give more to charities in December than any other time of the year and they linger on childhood memories and they may even go to church and they, they search for some sense of, of meaning, some good feeling, some purpose in all of the festivity and then December 26 rolls around it's back to work another holiday has come and gone the new year is the next thing on the calendar and we're looking for a new year listen to what one author wrote about this Songs, good feelings, beautiful liturgies, nice presents, big dinners, sweet words do not make Christmas. Christmas is saying yes to something beyond all emotions and feelings. Christmas is saying yes to a hope based on God's initiative, which has nothing to do with what I think or feel. Christmas is believing that the salvation of the world is God's work and not mine. Christmas is not even worthy to be put on the same level as those other holidays that we celebrate when we don't have to have uh, to go to work that day. Though we don't know exactly when Jesus was born, Christmas is a celebration of the fullness of the time when God sent forth his, his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem that, them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Here's what I say. Uh, Christmas then is, if it's not a holiday, what is it? Christmas is a celebration of salvation. And if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, you, what we should celebrate today is our salvation. Our salvation through Christ. So the first truth that we can take, Christmas is not merely a holiday. Christmas is not on the same level as the 4th of July. Christmas is not on the same level as Memorial Day. 
Christmas is a celebration of salvation. May I also say this, and this is something moms and dads and grandparents that we, need, we have a responsibility to teach our children, that is this, Jesus is much more than a baby. My second thought is Jesus is much more than a baby. One mother wrote of attending a Christmas play with some friends and their two young boys who were aged four and six. And, and they were so impressed with the boys' fascination at seeing the baby Jesus in a manger. And the play was indeed realistic and convincing. And by the way, we tried to do that through Journey Through Christmas. We tried to have a real baby there. And, um, and, and we had Mary and Joseph like three times um, at three different places than Journey Through Christmas. And, and uh, uh, so we tried to make it as realistic as possible. But these little boys, age four and six uh, later they were at home and and they started arguing and after ignoring repeated warnings to stop their their mother sent them to their rooms to ask um, uh, forgiveness from Jesus for their disobedience for arguing when the older boy rejoined his mother asked him if he had asked Jesus to forgive him and he said no I asked God because Jesus is too young to understand well, that's a cute story, and, and, uh, but for many grown-ups, don't miss the significance of that story. The Jesus of Christmas is often how we view Jesus, that he's just a little child in a manger, incapable of saving us from our sins, incapable of meeting our needs. And, and we often see Jesus strictly as the baby in the manger. And it's true that Jesus was a baby. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin girl. And it is true that the creator of the universe was thriving in a placenta, protected by water, and bounced about on a donkey ride to Bethlehem. And, and it is true. Martin Luther, he described the incarnation of Christ as God deep in the flesh. And Jesus came into the world uh, with us that he might take us to heaven with him and he became one of us that we might become like him the bible says this and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory uh, of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth now i don't want people to think that I really am a Scrooge. There's, there's nothing really wrong with lights and trees and presents and nativity scenes. And, but just don't let that be your only view of Christmas. It's much more than that. Remember that those cute little baby hands, remember that those little cute little feet, uh, that they were later nailed to a rough Roman cross. Remember that kissable little head uh, one day wore a crown of thorns. Remember that a spear one day would be thrust into that chubby little torso. Remember our text passage prophesied hundreds of years before its reality. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. And he was despised we esteemed him not. Boy, wasn't that true? Isaiah wrote this so long before the actual events took place, and we know that this actually happened, that he hath borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
But I'm so thankful. Jesus is so much more than a baby because he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. And the chastisement of our chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, I am healed. And with his stripes, you are healed. Jesus is so much more than a baby. This year, as you gather your family together, Please don't give gifts without thanking God for the greatest gift, salvation through His Son. That's the greatest gift. Here's my third and final thought, and then I'm done, and then I'm done. Christmas is about giving light. Christmas is about giving light. The fact of the matter is, as we mentioned last night in our Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, He commanded us, to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. If you have your Bibles, you can close your Bibles. You can put up your pens. I'm done. I want to tell you one story. I have told this story before. I think it was probably many years ago, so maybe it will be the first time that, that uh, you've heard if you've recently joined our church. But in my records, I remember sharing this story. The story actually comes from James Dobson, and I think we're all familiar with that name. But he tells the story of Stella Thornhope. She was struggling with her first Christmas alone. Her husband had died just a few months prior through a slow developing cancer. She'd been there to tend, take care of him. He passed away just before Christmas. Just before Christmas, she was home. That's happening through most of the, the U.S. right now. She felt terribly alone. So much rang. There was a delivery boy with a box. And he said, Mrs. Thornhope? She nodded. He said, would you sign right here? She invited him to step inside the house, close the door so he could get out of the cold. And she signed that paper and said, well, what's in the box? The young man laughed and opened up the flap. And inside was a little puppy, a yellow Labrador retriever. The delivery boy picked up the squirming pup and he said, Ma'am, this is for you. He's six weeks old. The young puppy began to wiggle in happiness and, and uh, from being released from the captivity of the box and bouncing around and jumping around. And if you have a dog, you could probably picture that. Well, Mrs. Thornhope asked, well, who sent this? The young man sat the animal down and handed her envelope and said, it's all explained in this envelope, ma'am. The dog was purchased in July while its mother was still pregnant. It was meant to be a Christmas gift to you. The young man then handed her a book, How to Care for Your Labrador Retriever. She again asked, Who sent, the, who sent this puppy to me? As the young man turned to leave, he said this, Ma'am, your husband did. His instructions were for me to wish you a Merry Christmas. So she opened up the letter. He had written it three weeks before he died, and he left it with the kennel owners to be delivered with the puppy on Christmas Day. The letter was full of love and encouragement, and he vowed that he was waiting for the day when she would join him again in heaven, and he had sent her this young animal to keep her company until then, and she wiped away the tears and put the letter down, and then she remembered the puppy at her feet. She picked up that little golden furry ball and held it close to her neck, she looked out the window at the lights that outlined the neighbor's house, and she heard 
from the radio in the kitchen. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Suddenly, Stella felt an amazing sense of peace washing over her. And according to Mr. Dobson, her, her heart felt uh, joy and a wonder greater than the grief and the loneliness. And she said, little fella, it's just you and me. But you know what? There's a box down in the basement I bet you'd like. It's got a Christmas tree in it, some decorations and some lights that's going to impress you. And there's a manger scene down there. Let's go get it. God has a way of sending a light to remind us life is stronger than death. Light is more powerful than darkness. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And as I close this message, I just simply say, is Jesus your light this morning? Are you struggling with life or are you struggling with darkness? God, he presented Jesus to this world to be a light, to be the light, a light, to be the light in our lives. He's so much more than a baby. Christmas is so much more than a holiday. Christmas is about Jesus who gave his life so that he could be the light in our lives. Is he your light this morning?